Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited. I am joined by a very special guest. He was my brief boss over at SB Nation. Very, very brief. Uh, we had a very quick conversation about that before I moved over to Mile High Sports. Uh, he's currently the editorial manager over at SB Nation and a Lakers specialist. It is Harrison Fagan. Make sure to go follow him, HM Fagan, on Twitter. Harrison, uh, it, it's great to see you. I'm really excited about this podcast. When I reached out to you about this one, I knew I, I had the exact framing of the podcast that I wanted to cover for the offseason because it, this is the perfect time to do so. No, I mean, first of all, thank you for having me back on. You know, I I, I was shocked when you reached out because I was under the impression you hated me. Like it's <laughs> within it was less than 24 hours after I announced my promotion. The, this guy get for those of you, you know, listening in, like he gets on a Zoom with me to tell me that he's uh that he's taking another job and you know, I it was honestly it's a crisis of confidence. I'm like, okay, I thought I thought I got along with Ryan if this is how he reacted, then like oh how is everybody gosh. that I don't know going like, to gonna take this? But no, I mean, you're you're off to bigger and better things and i'm uh i'm very happy to you know see you at mile high sports you know i, I knew as soon as they were changing the leadership over at sb nation that it was time for me to bounce <laughs> like that was that was definitely where my head was at with all of this not the not like the they put situation. that guy in charge what the hell <laughs> lakers like what are we doing come on now somebody somebody on bias got out just in time before i uh, assigned you the why the nuggets should trade for russell westbrook editorial that was oh. that, that was why i wanted to talk to you on oh the phone. man so you sniffed it out you got out of dodge quickly michael porter jr for russell westbrook who says no <laughs> i mean it's definitely the nuggets right like yeah, there's no way that okay yeah i was gonna say was, <laughs> you're not that down on him are you like i know the injury know, stuff no. is a concern but like wow yeah it would be that what what a trade that would be um but either way uh i knew i wanted to have you on because we we actually and we were gifted some lakers news right before this with lebron james signing an extension a max extension for two years it was really the max he can go because of the over 38 rule am i correct isn't it over 36? But yes, you are correct. I, I think oh. it's the over 36 rule, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe maybe that is what it is. Like, I, 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 I feel like 36 because... makes more sense. But now I'm questioning my memory on this just because, huh. like, how many guys even played a 38? But they no, have like, PJ Tucker, rule. like PJ Tucker. Is yeah, I guess. You're right. So I, I think you're right. It is 36. Yeah. Um, no. So he only could sign a th at for a total of three years. He's under contract for this year. Now he's under contract for the following year and then a player option in 24, 25 after that. We've heard a lot about Bronny James. We've heard a lot about the Russell Westbrook trade rumors. Anthony Davis, I think secretly, may, maybe some Lakers fans would prefer that Anthony Davis was traded as well. Uh, I'm very curious to see what your takes are on all of these, these Lakers drama-filled pieces. Uh, Obviously, the Russell Westbrook trade has been an abject failure. I don't think anybody could really argue that at this point. Where are the Lakers? How dare at right you? Now? They just needed a bigger <laughs> sample size and a healthy Kendrick Nunn. Okay. It was all going to be right. fine. You know, if they had just played more games together with Kendrick Nunn, I think they would have been a title contender. You know, Ima imagine Nunn closing games over Westbrook like at game 37 last year. That would have been, that would have been hilarious. You know, I, I, I can't even rule it out, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on in Lakerland? I don't want to think about last season a lot. Yeah. What's going on in Lakerland? 
Uh, so, I mean, you, you said drama. I don't know. I don't even know what drama you're talking about. LeBron just signed an extension. Everything's good. Him and Jeannie Buss are good. You know, him and Rob Palinka are good. Pay no attention to, you know, him basically like flirting with Cleveland openly at the trade deadline last year and outright saying that the team was not good enough and leaking that Rob had lied when he said that him and Anthony Davis and LeBron were in alignment on their inaction at the trade deadline. None of that happened. Everything's hunky-dory in Los Angeles. All is good. LeBron extended. Lakerland, the dynasty continues. Um, No, I I think, you know, it's, yeah, you throw a lot at me there uh, in terms of all the different things that, like you know, like Anthony Davis, I, I feel like, Lakers fan, a lot of Lakers fans, not so secretly, would like to, uh, you know, shop him or at, le- at the very least, like, see, you know, I, I, I think there was a large like fan push of like, oh, they should offer him and Russ to Brooklyn to try and get KD and Kyrie, which obviously like traits like that don't happen re- outside of NBA 2K. But, you know, right. I, this is definitely a guy who fans are, or at least the most vocal ones, I would say, are not totally married to anymore like they were, you know, after the 2020, you know, title or anything like that. When it seemed like, okay, Anthony Davis is the next guy. They're set to rebuild around him. They resigned him for the max five years. Everybody's happy. He just showed that he's, you know, ESPN, I think, ranked him as like the top player in the NBA coming out of that summer, which, you know, agree or disagree with that. If you want at the time, given how he had shot in the bubble, it was not that wild of a take. Like you could, right. the, even the people who disagreed were like, okay, I mean, he's probably like top three still. I feel like most, you know, because we're all prisoners of the moment. We all react to this stuff after a title run and after we see it on the biggest stage. And, you know, I, to be honest, I thought that was probably like a little high. I wasn't quite on like number one, but I was definitely in there, you know, where he had a legitimate case. If he had continued to play like he did during that bubble run, then obviously, you know, the, quick turnaround then I don't have to tell Nuggets fans about how brutal that was on teams um you know he could never quite keep it together and stay healthy that next season put on a little bit too much weight coming into last year uh was never able to kind of sustain that and so now there there's some big question marks there was you know early on his reputation as injury prone I think was a little bit overblown uh you sure. know from New Orleans days he would regularly still play like a fair amount of games he'd leave games with little knickknack injuries but he'd usually come back or he'd come back the next day, game and stuff like that he was not missing a ton of extended periods whereas now the last two years he's missed like long long stretches and obviously there are excuses and caveats and reasons for that but you know he really is going to have to show something I think this year to really prove that this is an era that is worth kind of somewhat committing to and that they shouldn't try and see what they can do to kind of blow the team up a little bit next year and you know I talk all of this because you know it's like we can talk about the rust stuff till the cows come home, but like, I don't know that anything is for sure going to happen there. I have a hard time believing that they, that the Lakers all watched last season up close and are like, yeah, no, let's go into training camp with that guy on the roster. That's not a waste of everyone's time. Um, But you know, it, it takes two to tango and I'm using way too many cliches here, but they have to find a team that's willing to take on Russ and they have to be willing to attach the assets to make that happen. And, you know, I, I think LeBron's extension yesterday was sort of, you know, a lot of people read it differently, uh, but I sort of took it as a signal that at the very least he's comfortable in kind of where they're going with the roster, which does make me wonder, you know, I, I believe it's next week. Some of those jazz players that were in the Rudy Gobert deal are eligible to be traded um, or like 10 days from now or something like that. Uh, and so you, you do wonder if there's something starting to burble here and there's like another move coming in the offing, because it does seem given the way that LeBron has operated 
throughout most of his career. And then especially since the trade deadline that he would have just straight up re up for two years, unless he thought that gave the Lakers a distinct advantage in kind of continuing to overhaul their roster and ship Russ out. A lot there for sure. Uh, Let's start with the AD stuff real quick, because none of this works like none of it with, with LeBron kind of getting to the stage of his career that he is, he's, he's at the border of tier one right now. Like there, there are a lot of people that can argue whether he's in the tier one, top tier of players. There are a lot of people that can argue he's not there. He's kind of aging out at this case. And so the Lakers, they, they're going to need, if they want to get back to the championship place, they need Anthony Davis to get back to where he was. And you know that better than anybody. I think Nuggets fans know what happens when Anthony Davis is at his best. Yeah, Nuggets um, fans know what a good Anthony Davis looks like. They saw yeah. maybe the best Anthony Davis has ever played up close. Yeah, how how great timing uh, on that on that front. That was awesome. Um, no, <laughs> it was uh, that was unfortunate for, for me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's the only timing for you over the last three years. Uh, I'm just true. kidding. <laughs> no, it's not uh, that far off. Yeah, no, it's 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 here's uh, here's the thing, like. You have the big two in theory. Everybody's talked about the big two in theory. The big three was a good idea in theory. It's just they put the wrong player in there with Russ. And so it looks like they're trying to rectify that. There was a report that came out with Mark Stein today, kind of in the wake of LeBron's extension. I know you've read this, of course, that uh, the Nets would, like they, they still would not be willing to do a Kyrie trade, even if the Lakers opened up their 2027 and 2029 first round picks. I'm not really surprised about that because the Nets are still going to – they're playing hardball with every possible deal that they do. Uh, they will eventually crack if the situation gets bad, gets really bad. But the Lakers, I, I think it's a good idea for them to explore those avenues like what, with, with Utah, with, with Malik Beasley and Patrick Beverly and Mike Conley and guys of that nature. There are ways for Utah to – do that hard tank and go get a new French center in the draft next year. Uh, That's what they should do in in my opinion, but we're just, we're going to see how that situation evolves. I don't think that Russ is going to stay on the Lakers for the entire year. I can't, I can't imagine that they're willing to do that. Right. No, I I can't. And I've been saying this all summer. I said it earlier, this podcast, like I, I just, the team watched how toxic that was closer than any of us did. They were sure. in the building for it. You know, all these stories that have trickled out about Russ, you know, going back, like not being receptive to Frank Vogel's criticism in the film room, not being receptive to any other players' criticisms, to people asking him to do different things, to the just the way he was behind the scenes, to just like how bad, even outside of that, how bad the on-court fit was because he didn't really want to do the things that would have allowed him to potentially be successful, but in a, you know, a combination like this, but also, you know, things that he's never done in his career. And it was sort of like the Lakers and, you know, me, honestly, I was, I was a Russ optimist going into last season that, you know, okay, this is the point in his career where he seems to want to win. He, like, if there was a time that he was going to devote himself to doing these things he's never done before, it would be now. And he didn't do it. And so I have a hard time believing that it's like the, uh, you know, the arrested development meme. Well, like, oh, it didn't work for those people, but maybe it'll work for us. 
you know, and like it, the Russ experiment, I'm willing to say is just not going to work. And I'm willing to be wrong on that. If he substantially changes his approach to the game of basketball in a way that he has not since he was at UCLA. But at this point, I don't know what is telling me, like what's giving me any realistic, you know, vision that that is something that's going to happen. And so the Lakers saw this, they were in the building for it. Like, I just don't see, you know, LeBron's mini camp is coming up in a couple of weeks. His players only one that he does almost every year, you know? And so I can't imagine that he's going to want to use that, that the Lakers are going to want to use training camp, trying to integrate a guy who very clearly does not fit. Like Darvin Ham can say all of the stuff that he wants about, oh, you know, Russ is going to, you know, take more corner threes and he's going to, re we really need him to lock in on defense and do all these things that he's like never done before. And right. so it, it's just, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. And for, so for now, I don't really believe it. And I, I just can't see them kind of running it back with him on the roster. It just, you know, and I, I, that said, I completely buy that report today that the Nets, you know, would not be willing to do something like that because they haven't traded KD yet. So why would they be projecting that, uh, you know, to reporters, to any other teams that are talking to reporters? Why would they be telling them, oh yeah, we do that deal when they haven't moved on from KD yet. And they're trying to maintain all leverage in those discussions and convince people that they're willing to run it back sort of like the Lakers are trying to convince people that they will it's like you know it's it really is an extremely high stakes game of chicken the the report wouldn't have come out if they were actually interested that's just kind of how these things are they would keep it secret up until the point where the deal was actually going to get done that's that's how I think the Nets have really operated through all of this in their actual interest of things uh, everything that they've put out there, everything that they projected is we are not doing this unless it's for the world, whether it's for KD or if it's for actual value in return, whether it's Kyrie. Uh, I'm very curious to see how that boils down. It would be hilarious to me if Russ just wasn't invited to LeBron's minicamp. Like that's yeah, like that he's is still on the, the funniest option. We we joked about that on our podcast this week. That it, we're I can't wait for the report that it's like ah uh, you know Russ was out of town that week. They just it's like it's like when they were in the same building in Vegas. They just couldn't connect. You know, guys' schedules mm. don't overlap all the time. You know, Anthony Davis just had a baby, uh, so like Russ couldn't come to training camp. You know, it's just uh <laughs> like that was. That was like that was like a serious like explanation that Darvin for those of you that don't know, uh, including Ryan, um, that that Darvin Ham gave for why LeBron and Russ like did not ha had not kind of gotten together and talked, you know, during the offseason was he's like, well, you know, AD had a baby, just had a baby, you know, guys schedules don't really overlap. It's like Darvin, they were in the same building. They were oh they God. were 100 feet from each other. It's. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's oh what we're at Lakerland. You know, their schedules so in the funny. gym did not overlap. You know, it oh was like they're both so busy saying hi to other people. Um, Man, that is horrible. Like I and you I watch just, something like that, and you're yeah. like, "There's no way they bring those guys into the same building for training camp." You know, it's just like if they can't fake nice for the cameras for 30 seconds, like we're supposed to believe that they're going to go through a whole training camp with you know, like Russ firing passes at the back of LeBron's head and stuff like that. Uh, like I just don't. You know, I just don't buy it. And so, you know, maybe maybe they prove me wrong. Maybe they end up just sending him home and there's no trade or something like that. But I just can't believe that they're going to waste an entire training camp on this kind of, you know, at this juncture, doomed experiment. So you said doomed. 
it does sort of feel like this is doomed. Like, despite like, can can they solve any of this with Russ still in the building? What's the positive spin on this if they don't get a trade done? Like, what are the the new free agency signings? Who is exciting? Like, what what are you guys getting excited for? What's the closing lineup going to be? And why does Austin Reeves keep popping up into it? Like, uh, what 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 are we what are we getting excited about at Lakerland? <laughs> Do not disrespect Austin Reeves. He. <laughs> Look at the roster and tell me he doesn't have at least a case to be, end up in the closing our, our lineup, okay? You know, like, this is oh. not, you know, he, Austin Reeves was mostly good last year. Now, again, this mm-hmm. is, like, against a, a roster of NBA players that were mostly bad, so that informs some of the net rating and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, he replaced a guy who's, like, not on a team anymore in the lineup. And so, like, any team, not just the Lakers, like, not on a NBA team. Uh, and right. so... You know, you have those factors there where he, but he was a standout last year. And I, I think that with another summer of conditioning and stuff like that, like he's a reason to potentially, you know, that they I'm have being, more. I'm being dramatic at this point. Like he, I know he is. A, he's a good player and, and he will help. Like he'll be a bona fide rotation player. That's what the league This vigorous need. defense of Austin Reeves, though, should tell you how excited we are about the rest of the route. You know, like there's Kendrick Nunn theoretically exists. We mentioned him earlier in the podcast. Yeah. I saw he sent out on Instagram a highlight reel of him playing actual basketball in Lakers colors, which is like more minutes than he played in actual regular season games in Lakers Jeez. colors last year with uh with a bone bruise that kept him out for the entire season. Uh, and that he reportedly still has not, or at least as of a couple weeks ago, had not played five on five with yet. So, um, you know, they're kind of hoping Kendrick Nunn uh, can come in and be that mid-level kind of exception signing that they were hoping he would be last season. Uh, I, You know, they are they are hopeful for Lonnie Walker, I'm sure. I don't know that fans are as hopeful as the Lakers organization is uh, for that particular clutch client. And, you know, <laughs> you hope that with Russ not on the roster that Taylor Horton Tucker can show some of the promise. But as sort of these points are probably illustrating to your laughing listeners, this is not a roster with a lot of outside reasons for optimism if a deal is not done. Like the team is better than they were last year, but last year they missed the play in. And so what does that really mean? You know, it's like, I mean, you hope that LeBron and AD will stay healthy for longer stretches than they were last year. The team just like even last year's team would have been better had that happened and probably would have made the play in had those two guys had better health. But can you count on that at this stage? I don't know. And so what you're hoping for is that you get a trade together and you cross your fingers and you get good health luck. But like, you know, I could sit here and I could talk about how Thomas Bryant provides like a theoretical spacing threat that allows AD to kind of play like the four or five hybrid position that he is kind of best suited at where he's not really one or the other, but he just kind of does the things he's good at. And he needs like a very specific skill set alongside him to allow him to do those things. And Thomas Bryant, in theory, kind of fits that skill set. But, you know, like Thomas Bryant has also barely played in the last like three years. And so outside of a trade sort of pushing this roster upwards, you know, they'll be better, but how much better? I'm not really 100% sure. This does not feel like a finished roster. They have an open roster spot. But like we've been talking about for the last, you know, few minutes, like I don't see any way they bring Russ into camp. It's just it's hard to seriously. And I admire, you know, I, I know you referenced the closing lineup thing. I know that's a reference to Jovan Buhat, who does excellent work for the athletic projected a Lakers closing lineup. And it's sad right. right now. But that's yeah. like, yeah, Jovan's great, but that's that's a sad lineup. And that is indicative of the Lakers roster that you're looking at that lineup and you're like, yeah, that really could be the closing lineup. And so, you know, you hope LeBron and AD kind of get back to form longest offseason they've had in a while and sort of bounce back. But, you know, outside of that and outside of the trade.
better than how last year went. If you could pick uh, any reported, not reported necessarily, but any theoretical trade that the Lakers make with Russell Westbrook, what would it be? Uh, it would still be Kyrie. I, I I like the Miles and Heald, the Miles Turner and Buddy Heald one. Like I, that certainly makes the Lakers better. Miles Turner, I think, would be a much better player next to Anthony Davis. They're kind of actually the perfect versions of the players to get the best out of each other, and right. they would be sort of like a terror on defense, at least at protecting the rim. That would be a better team. That it's a, a much better team than the Lakers are right now. Uh, Heald, I think, again is another guy that like you put him on a team with LeBron. If he's one of those guys that is sort of able to, you know, because there's throughout LeBron's career, this is a tangent, but there's been like a, uh, you know, there's been some guys that are immediately ready for his style of passing and are immediately great shooters. And there's other guys who like can't deal with the amount of unpredictability and, you know, kind of waiting and cooling off and whatever. But if Buddy Heald is one of the former types, then again, he's a guy that will be better in Los Angeles than he was on the Kings or uh, the Indiana Pacers. But I still think you have to go for upside at this point. You know, what the playoffs have shown us is that you need kind of, if nothing else, you need that top end talent and that can carry you through at the very least a couple of rounds if you get lucky like you know the Mavs uh, with uh you know Jalen Brunson was obviously a big part of their run but the biggest part was that they had Luca at the top of the roster to prop it up and sort of you know basically will them past the Suns the last couple of games in that series and so you know like I, I don't have to tell Nuggets fans this because you know you're you're hopeful for much the same things you get kind of those top two guys back and all of a sudden the roster that was sort of like you know like uh, you were above playing territory last year, but like sort of towards that range is all of a sudden again towards the top of the West because you have Jokic and then you get MPJ back and Jamal Murray. Right. Like you need that top end talent to sort of carry you through. And I think Kyrie is a bet on that and that the Lakers could be a 16 game team, even if they were not one of the best like 82 game teams. It's a it's a very fair bet to make. Like if, if you're going for upside at this stage, you, you just assume that AD can or yeah, you have to hope that AD can get back to that place and hope that LeBron keeps it up. And there's there's just very few players in the league that are as talented as Kyrie Irving. So it's it, it's a very fair bet to make. Um, and it should but, tell you something about Russell Westbrook's reliability last year that I'm sitting here arguing for paragon of reliability, Kyrie Irving, uh, yeah. to come to Los Angeles, you know? How many games did he play last year? Like 31? Who, Kyrie? Yeah. Yeah, it was like, something like that. It was like, I, I believe it was in the 30s, like maybe 37. But yeah, it was not. Yeah. It, I don't even think he got into the 40s. Yeah, it was. But again, you know, much better basketball fit. A guy that we've seen play well alongside LeBron James before. You know, again, it, it, he's going to want to get it together to kind of get that Nike contract back, get some of his endorsability back, maybe be able to extend in Los Angeles. Like this would be a situation where, you know, if you could ever get reliable Kyrie, then it would be now. But again, that's the same thing everybody, you know, myself included was saying about Russ last year. And we all saw how that worked out. So again, boomer bust move, but I'd rather go for the upside because I just don't think that you can use another year of LeBron's prime where you're like, yeah, you know, we'll be better. We'll be a playoff team and then we'll see kind of, you know, if we can shake out with the right matchups and, you know, go up another level in the in the postseason. Well, we'll see what they do. I'm, I'm just as interested as everybody else because it could, it does still have the potential to change up the West. As talented as the West is, a team with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Kyrie Irving has to be respected. Like, it's just, that's just how it is. If they can all play 40 yeah. plus minutes a night in the playoffs, sometimes it doesn't matter who the other guys are. So, 
We will just have to see. But hey, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we are going to revisit the Nuggets Lakers talk as well as some rivalry discussion, which should be fun. But first, summer is here. There's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. everybody for tuning in i'm joined by special guest harrison fagan who does a great job covering the lakers and has done so for a long time make sure to go follow him he is a humorous lakers fan somebody who can walk the line of and understand the humor in in the situation over the course of these last few years but also uh he will dish it back out if you come at him so make sure to uh make sure to come so come forward with caution i would say uh but harrison we have to talk Nuggets Lakers now because the schedule just came out. Uh, before we get into the Nuggets Lakers specifically, did you have any overarching Lakers takeaways when the schedule was released? So I'm going to be honest that in my new job, you know, like uh, keeping track of everything, or I've not had specific time to like dive into the Lakers schedule as deeply as I would, you know, in my, uh, that was my only like job blog boy days. Um, But, you know, from what I have gathered, it does seem like there is a bit of a split in opinion uh, from Lakers schedule. I was listening to uh, my friend Keith Parrish on Fast Break Breakfast, who was uh, sort of breaking down the schedule in terms of like the Lakers have the most teams coming in with a rest disadvantage of any team in the NBA and they have like I think I think I saw Justin Russo say this of uh of Clips Nation was saying that of the kind of like 17 a team stays in Los Angeles for those two back-to-back games against the Lakers and Clippers you know like I'm I'm sure the Nuggets have done this over the years and things oh, like yeah. that of those 17 <laughs> times uh like 10 of the times they're facing the Lakers on the second half of that back-to-back. Um, and so it's like, there's a little bit of like, oh, league's trying to rig it for the Lakers, get them back, like a boost up their record. They want to make sure LeBron does not at least miss the play-in or anything like that. But then, you know, the the sort of more Lakers contemporary takeaway has been like, man, that opening to the season is brutal. And there aren't very many wins that you can like project on paper here. And so they're really going to have to come together fast if they want to avoid sort of, you know, having like a the ground fall out from under them a little bit. And so I think, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, you know, my friend Dave Deckard said over at Blazers Edge, like if you, no one thinks that their team got a good schedule, you're always going to find the things that you don't like in it. And then everybody else that hates your team is going to be like, well, this is not fair. The league has it rigged to uh, benefit the Lakers. And so, you know, I'm going to choose to believe NBA history and that the league has it rigged uh, for the Lakers, but you know. I love it. No, that's uh, that's funny. And on, honestly, so uh, just looking at the Nuggets matchup specifically, no back-to-backs in the L.A. markets, uh, nothing nothing crazy like that where you get the L.A. nightlife being undefeated. 
Uh, the Nuggets have a rest. Yeah, especially for that days. second game. That really is a like LA nightlife undefeated market on your calendar game, because especially if it's the like Sunday at 1230 one where your oh. team plays against the Clippers, the Friday night stays over in LA on Saturday. You know, the Lakers, the lottery year Lakers got a few unexpected win. They beat the 73 win Warriors uh, that season, uh, you know, based off of that LA nightlife. I think Steph, it was like the worst shooting game of his career. You know, that's a real thing. <laughs> So funny. It, it, it is so true. Like there, there are these places, uh, the Nuggets lost a game in Orlando last year because they partied so hard in Miami a couple of nights before that uh, after, after winning that game and going into that after the Markeith Morris situation, uh, there, there was a lot of partying after that game and they, they lost to Orlando on my birthday. How dare they? Um, but no, it was, it was honestly like the nugget schedule is pretty reasonable. And I, I had heard that the Lakers schedule overall pretty reasonable. If you're, if you're hoping for a favorable start us mid market teams, we, we get annoyed at the Lakers national TV games. It's definitely understandable why they're still on TV and as much as they are. I mean, LeBron James is going to be a draw no matter what, like that's, that's just how it is. But Nuggets fans actually have a special reason to be mad. They're, they're probably the only fan base that gets to have a special reason to be mad because of the TV dispute, because they literally cannot watch them on Comcast here, which is very yeah. unfortunate. It's, uh, but, but no, like we, we, I think Denver's schedule was pretty good. Uh, let's just run through the, the Nuggets Lakers matchups here really quick. Four times this year, nothing. Uh, they, they don't get three times like they have in years past. Um, October 26th, which is Denver's fifth game of the year, they play in Denver on ESPN. Four days later, they play the Nuggets or the Nuggets and Lakers play in LA, which is kind of odd that they're yeah, two that's games weird. In, in I was... the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, that's kind of strange. Um, you know, uh, but hey, I'm happy that Denver fans will be able to watch that uh that ESPN one at least. And yeah, there there, there are some uh people or some some uh companies that are popping up that can try to help avoid that as much as possible but it does sort of feel like uh they, they have a few more national tv games i think they've got 16 on the on the major ones because we we actually can't get nba tv here because it's blacked out locally yeah uh, so yeah the nba tv thing is like it's not it's not a real national tv game but the nba like the teams always count it because they're like well yeah look at how relevant we are we're on national tv all these times and it's like oh it's nba <laughs> tv it's just a national broadcast of the local broadcast yeah no i mean so you know what denver and other you know fan bases with a you know rsn deal like that they are the only ones that i want to hear complain about about lack of national TV games because other than that I don't really understand why you would care like do you really want to listen to you know like a bad podcast instead of your local broadcasters you know like most of the time or get like you know hot takes from the like national halftime shows rather than kind of get your like normal people that you're used to you know like I I've never fully understood that beyond situations like this one why you would really care all that much about how many national TV games you watch because to be honest like I prefer watching the local broadcasts anyway and it's totally fair. Like, I think it's I think not a homer fans, thing. It's just, I mean, it, maybe it's a little a homer thing, but I just prefer that, you know, the Lakers broadcast mostly just talks the game. And so I'd rather just have that than like, hey, do you see this LeBron tweet? Like, <laughs> what did you think uh, about that, Jeff? Yeah, though, I think Nuggets fans just want Jokic to get his shine. They want they want the Nuggets to, I get to feel it. like everybody wants their the guy to, be, to get the amount of love they deserve. So I get it. Which I, it's it's happened the last couple of years. I, I don't think we can we can say, oh yeah, this this didn't happen at all. So it's all good. Um no the hated by the media two-time MVP. 
October 26th in Denver. That's Denver's fifth game of the year. The seventh game of the year is in LA against the Lakers four days later. Right after that is December 16th in LA and then January 9th in Denver. So January 9th is Denver's 40th game, meaning all four of these matchups happen in the first half of the year, which I I think is kind of fascinating when we talk about where the Lakers are going to kind of be in their trajectory versus where the Nuggets are going to be in their trajectory. Yeah, see, this is, again, more evidence of the league trying to not give the Nuggets tape on how they match up with the post-trade deadline Lakers. This is unbelievable. (laughs) You know, the fix is in. Trying to get them overconfident going into a potential second-round matchup. However, will the Nuggets match up with Bismack Biombo after he's traded for Russell Westbrook? Uh, like, <laughs> I, I don't know, but like, we'll 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 have to figure that out as we go. Uh, no, I, it's, I think it's going to be able to crack that one. I've heard he's pretty bad on defense. He's, so, he's pretty you know. pretty brutal. Um, but no, I was I was wondering whether you think the Lakers will be a better team in the first half or second half of the year. Uh, I definitely think that they're going to be better in the second half just because, you know, this is a team that just is all once again sort of being built, uh, uh, you know, from scratch this summer, almost entirely overhauled roster. And, you know, the 2020 title team ended up getting off to a really good start. But that was a team that fit together really well, had like a normal offseason, got together before the season, really liked each other, which I think helps. Got kind of that new coach bump from Frank Vogelcut. So maybe they get something similar with Darvin Ham and all the guys, you know, they all like him at this point. They all want to play hard for him but it's just hard for me to believe that they're going to get off to like a really fast start you know and really come together quickly because whether or not a trade is made this is going to be kind of a weird very top heavy team that has to figure out its best lineups kind of as they go and really experiment so I do think that almost regardless I do think that they're going to be better in the second half whether they're a team that ends up making an overhaul at the trade deadline or not it just feels like the type of team that's going to have to get its legs under it and kind of come on strong down the second half of the season. Denver's fairly similar, though they do have an easier schedule at kind of the first half of the year. So it's kind of juxtaposed where I think Nuggets fans were were kind of of two minds that they want Jamal Murray and Michael Porter to get back up to speed as quickly as possible. Uh, but they're going to need time to do that at the beginning of the year. It's not going to be immediately flowing right into where where it was when they're kind of at their, their peaking in 2021. Uh, it just seems like this is going to be interesting to see Denver match up with the Lakers four times early in the year, because I think both teams will probably be tinkering with a bunch of things over the course, especially over those, those first two weeks. Like I have no idea what the Lakers are going to look like in the first two weeks. If they have yeah. Russell Westbrook, if they have somebody else entirely, like that's going to be fascinating. And then the Nuggets. I don't think the Lakers I, know right now what they're going to look like in the first two weeks. Yeah. The, the Nuggets are fortunate that they only have one back to back in that kind of first little stretch, but uh, it's actually, I don't know if you heard about this, the Nuggets, uh, they basically said, hey, we're going to we're going to make sure to manage Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr.'s minutes. Unfortunately, the home openers on the second night of a back to back in the third game oh, of the God. season. So we don't have we have no idea what's going to happen because the second game of the year is against Golden State in Golden State uh, in, in San Francisco on ESPN on a Friday night. The league's going to want Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. to play, which means Saturday night they're coming home to play in Denver. Will they actually play those guys in Denver and in the home opener in front of the fans so that they get to see Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back? Uh, we we were we were bemoaning that on the schedule for sure. 
Yeah, that's kind of a brutal beat, like a, a very specific one, too, where it's like, you know, any other home game, you'd be like, ah, but, you know, that sucks for the fans that are paying to go to that game. But for the home opener, that is like pretty brutal. They should no, honestly, they should just rest all of those guys um, in Golden State and then let Steve Kerr complain about this is what's wrong with the league afterwards uh, to reporters. <laughs> That's, yeah, and Dr- Draymond will will make sure to say something about it on the pod. Uh, no, it's, it's uh, that was that was a funny storyline last year. But either way, I, I yeah, I think the Nuggets will be a better team in the second half. But given that the schedule is harder in the second half, they may have fewer wins. Uh, I'm not really sure how this is going to work. It's it's going to be fascinating to see what these two teams look like. Uh, but the other part of this. Uh, this segment that I wanted to talk about was rivalries. And I, and I wanted to play a game with you here really quick. I want you to guess the Nuggets biggest rival. And I am in turn going to guess the Lakers biggest rivals. And, and we could go like two or three teams if you want. Okay. I mean, my first guess was going to be, but it's funny you brought up the RSN thing. Cause when you mentioned this question to me, I was going to say is the first, the first question they're fans. Like, is it <laughs> like they're, Trying to make it so they can never see the Nuggets. Uh, like that's that's yeah. their biggest rival. Um, no, uh, that's a good that's a good question. Who is the Nuggets' biggest rival right now? Uh, the Jazz. It's a great question. It's a great arguments there. Unfortunately, Rudy Gobert was just traded. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they did have. I mean, I just was guessing because they had that long seven game series a couple years mm-hmm. ago, and so I was, you know. The Timberwolves? It's probably the Timberwolves, but I think you could make a couple arguments about some other teams. Um, the Timberwolves is just so new because Tim Connolly just went there. Uh, they traded for Rudy Gobert, so that's an interesting one. They've had some battles between Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Jokic. They did acquire Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt and those guys. And Patrick Beverly is always a pain to everybody that he plays. So yeah, there, there is Patrick some... Beverly is a rival of every single team he is not currently <laughs> playing for. And sometimes yeah. the team he is currently playing for. <laughs> it's so funny. It's it's so true too. Uh no, I think I think the biggest rival of the Jokic era is probably the Blazers. If if I had to guess, just because they had Yusuf Nurkic when the the Jokic they would not have been on my happened. list. Exactly oh, the Nurkic thing. Duh. Okay. Well, it's it's not a duh because I, I don't think it's one of the things that Nuggets fans like. Denver I do remember and, talking with Adam Morris about that a number of years ago. Like it, it's a duh for me because I remember this being a little bit of a storyline. Yeah, no, during it's, Jokic's it, it, it emergence, is, like before it, he was MVP, Jokic. You know, it was like, oh, he's better than this Nurkic guy, and they kind of have bad blood now. It, it has been fascinating. Uh, the Blazers and Nuggets kind of went back and forth. After the Blazers beat the Nuggets in a seven-game series in 2019, uh, the Nuggets didn't lose to them for a while. Like they, they, I think, swept them 8-0 and over the course of the next couple of years in the regular season, and then they played that uh, playoff series in 2020-21 uh, without Jamal Murray, and they won that in six. Uh, but no, like with the with the Blazers falling off over the course of this last year, that that one also has kind of petered out as well. It just doesn't seem like Denver has a natural rival right now. And I think the Suns is probably kind of the team that's that's creeping up there with, with the way that they treated Denver fans and, and the Nuggets like that just wasn't. It, it was oh, yeah, very Suns awkward. and four guy. Never forget. Yeah, Suns and four guy was uh, was painful, but. Honorable mentions for this I had as the Jazz, the T Wolves, the Suns, and Joel Embiid. <laughs> that's that's uh, just that's him, probably not the, not the Sixers, one. just Joel Embiid. 
Uh, it's it's Joel and Embiid Drew and Hanlon. Sixers fans is what I is what I wrote down, which which also includes Drew Hanlon. Um, now, so I, I want to guess on the the Lakers now. It's not a hard guess. It's got to be the yeah. Celtics, I was going to say right? if you don't get this one on the first try, I'm going to be a little disappointed. <laughs> it's got to be the Celtics, just because like you, you can't beat that history. It's it's just it's yeah, interwoven yeah. into everything that the league is about, and so every team, every every fan of the NBA knows the Lakers versus the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about, we were joking about this in a meeting I was in earlier today. We were talking about rivalry week and how that was one of the new kind of advents of the schedule. And I was like, I mean, I would love to do like a breakdown of like each team kind of picking their biggest rival and see how many other team, you know, team fan bases pick the Lakers and and like, and honestly, how many of them pick the Celtics only for those two teams to pick each other. Like, and it's like, there's no question in either of those fan bases mind who their biggest rival is. But I know like, you know, during the early, early 2000s the kings felt like they had a rivalry with the lakers um you know the, i think the suns even feel like they have a rivalry with the lakers and it's like you know the clippers obviously there are a lot of people who talk about that one but it's like no like for the lakers there is and i think for most lakers fans there is no other team uh that they would root against more than uh the celtics at least over a certain age cutoff we actually saw this uh, past offseason, the Lakers season was over so early that we had we had about like two to three weeks where Lakers fans were, you know, exchanging like death threats with each other over like whether or not they would root for the Celtics <laughs> against the Warriors to stop, um, you know, to stop Steph from getting his fifth ring to tie Kobe, um, you know, just going back and forth uh, there about whether or not that was an acceptable time to root for the Celtics. It is not. Um, but thank you for asking. Uh, so, yeah, there, you know, I think for most Lakers fans, probably 90% of them, they're going to go with, you know, Celtics pretty quickly. Uh, to your point about the Lakers being the rival of everybody, that's it. You have to be, it's a two-sided rivalry. It has to be on both sides in order to really yeah. count. The, like the Nuggets would definitely say, hey, we, we want to rival the, the Lakers because they kept kicking our ass throughout our entire franchise history. But uh, that's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate because you can go back to the mid eighties with uh, Alex English uh, that was versus Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson, so sort of a tough stretch there. Uh, you had uh, Carmelo Anthony in 2009 going yeah, against Kobe. Yeah, 2009. That was probably Denver's best chance ever to win a title. And the two that's, Trevor uh, Ariza is stolen inbounds passes. The last time yay. he played the Laker uniform. Nobody, <laughs> like, that didn't happen this year. I don't know why right. people keep talking about that, why that right. he was on I, Lakers this year. I, I agree. I, I I didn't see it. Um yeah. And uh, then we have 2020 in the bubble. Like that's that wasn't really a yeah. rivalry because, but but it is just another time where the Nuggets got to a certain threshold, and then the Lakers were just like, ah, it's, it's, uh, that's enough of you. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's like very painful. Yeah, just to like make an analogy, like you know, if you were a Nuggets fan, you wouldn't say that you were a rival with your older brother. They just beat you up. You know, yeah. it's just like yeah. So, uh, so we're hoping to change that. We're hoping, like, I think all Nuggets fans want is just to be big brother for a little bit, is just to just to be able to look down upon the rest of the league and crush hey, them with they got feet. a chance this year. I, I, I will say, you know, provided health for MPJ and Jamal Murray and, you know, what they look like, that's a big if, but, um, you know, they got a chance this year, I would say. I want to go rapid fire here with you real quick. I did pull up the Rivals Week schedule, and you mentioned this. Uh, that, you, that you're interested in talking about the rivals. I want you to rate these rivalries, these rivals games 
on a, on the popcorn scale of one to 10 of your interest level in them? Like, like should NBA fans be interested in these rivalries specifically? So rate it on a scale of one to 10. We'll start with the first one. Celtics versus Heat. That wait, that's on the schedule. Hold on. I'm pulling up this like uh yep. this schedule from this is why I wanted to do it because this is Rivals Week. That is so weird. Are the Celtics and Heat rivals? I mean, I guess they played in the NBA conference final. They played in the conference finals, but that doesn't make them rivals. That's a playing each choice. other previously automatically qualifies you. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> apparently so uh okay so i have this pulled up now i mean for me i'm still relatively intrigued by that one just because it was a it was a fun playoff series so like i'm excited to watch that one i'm just confused by it being during rivalries week uh i right. guess is where i'm at i i guess you know you can have rivalries between players or whatever and i i do always feel like you know like Fans try to be like, oh, that's not a rivalry because they don't personally care about that other team. But it's like if your team personally hates that other team, it's still a rivalry like they're the ones playing the games. And so there is that distinction there where, you know, those teams obviously, you know, had a hard fought playoff series. So I'll I'll allow it this time because I think the NBA, the NBA later in the week acknowledges the Celtics true rivals. Give me a number one to ten. What's your interest level? Uh, I don't know, like a. I mean, it's a Tuesday in January, so I'm, you know, I'm going to go a six because I have no idea if, uh, like, who is going to play in that one. Like, it's above a five yeah. because I'm somewhat interested, but yeah, it's it's about a six for me. I had it as a six as well. Uh, Clippers, Lakers. Ugh. that's like a. I mean, just for me personally. That's like a two. I don't know. The Clippers have been blowing the Lakers out in like the regular season for like the last like almost 10 years. It's just like a tradition unlike any other. Their team cares way, way more about it than the Lakers do generally. Even when the, except when the Lakers were good during the 2019-20 season, they really got up for those games. But outside of that, it's mostly just like a Clippers. Like we are so tired of people coming up to us on the street and telling us that we don't play for a real professional basketball team. So for me personally, I'm going to go like a two just because I... I am not looking forward to that one in, you know, with the caveat being if the Lakers make some moves here and they get off to a hot start, I'll be excited for it. But, you know, barring that as of right now, not hype for that one. I had it as a seven because I do, I, I do actually care about that from the scope of, okay, how are these other teams doing and what's this battle of LA look like? Like, I, I know that it's been one-sided over the course of these last couple, uh, but if the Lakers are really going to get back on track, then they're going to want to beat the Clippers. That's definitely probably on the list of things that they're going to have to do. And if you if you get Kyrie Irving into the building, then maybe that yeah, changes sure. things a little bit. Um, yeah, I think our earlier discussion has me lower on this Lakers season than I was maybe entering it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if they get Kyrie Irving, this obviously ratchets up the scale for me to like an eight because all of a sudden, then that's a real basketball team that you're excited to watch. It's just, you know, this is going to take place in January. And so if that's still Russ is at home, they're waiting out the trade deadline, whatever. Like, I, I'm not quite there yet until we see what the team is going to look like. But I, I think you make a good case for why it could be meaningful. That's Sixers. No, that's like a, uh, that's like a one. Why, why would people care about this? Like Ke Kevin Durant and Kyrie are probably going to be gone. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't think, K do you think KD's playing out the season on the nets? I don't really buy that. I bet Ben Simmons is. Yeah, I guess. I mean, but like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm weird like this, but I don't really care. Like, 
to watch like an entire city, like boo one guy, like that's, you know, that doesn't make the basketball game more interesting unless that guy shows up with like an FU performance. So I guess that's somewhat interesting. I don't know. I'll give it a four. I'll upgrade it a little bit just for that reason. I, I want to see it not just because of that, but I want to see how the rest of the Sixers teammates kind of interact with Ben Simmons. Like I think that that's, yeah, that's true. That's sort of a, a dynamic that gets kind of under discussed in all this. Like how, did, like, how did they actually feel about it? Like this, they probably said very little about how they felt about it in comparison to how they actually feel. So that would be, that would be one thing where they get to kind of show it on the, on the actual stage, but uh, Joel Embiid versus Ben Simmons, that should be, that would be interesting to me if it actually meant something. Um yeah, Grizzlies. especially if Simmons is playing the small ball five in any of those lineups at some point, that could oh uh, that could get interesting. You know what? I'm upgrading this in my head. This is up to like a six. I'm I'm somewhat interested in this now. Okay, Grizzlies Warriors. This this is probably like an eight. I, I that that was a that was like a fun playoff series. There seems to be some real like weirdly a weird amount of bad blood between these two teams now. Um, you know, just considering like how the series went, it seemed. I guess there was the, there was the whole broke the code thing, and you know that all back and forth. So the Warriors were mad about that, and then they you know, the Grizzlies are mad now because the Warriors you know like won a championship and then shit talked them like during like the victory <laughs> parade basically. So like I am I am excited for that one. I, I think that that could be a really fun matchup this year especially because you know again with JJJ out I don't know quite how all this is going to look but you know Ja is always appointment television that's a guy who brings it like every single night of the 82 game slate that he plays in so you know the Grizzlies are already a really fun team to watch for me so are the Warriors yeah this is a, this is a good one I'm excited for this this for me is a four and and the reason why wow. it's a four it's it's because like look the Grizzlies were good they were fun but a lot of this was contrived. A lot of this was just like social no, media. See, this beef. is mid-market jealousy. You're just mad that Jaw got all this attention that Jokic in the national TV games that Jokic doesn't get. They have the same number of national TV games this year. Wait, do they? Oh, okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought the I thought the Grizzlies got a ton. Oh no, last year, yeah. last year was different. Like they were they were okay. Jaw appointment television for much of the season, and New Orleans appointment television was Zion for much of the season. That was that was far worse. Um, but no, like it, it's it, to me, it's just like, look, the 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 Nuggets and Warriors had an awful playoff series just because like Jokic was clearly overmatched trying to score by himself. There wasn't any real help that he was getting. You give him Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back, and I have to imagine that they would have been even more competitive than what the what the Grizzlies were doing in that particular series. So I, I'm very curious to see whether the Grizzlies are actually going to be good like kind of in line with where they were last year, or if they kind of take that one step back that these breakout teams generally do, they're very similar to where the Nuggets were, but I just don't know if Jaws in that tier that Jokic was kind of getting to. I, I, I think it's a contrived beast from social media. That's that's sort of how well, I feel about it. But I mean, that part of it is a little bit contrived, but I do think the basketball matchup is intriguing. And I do like regular season games where the guys actually care about it, you know, and are really, this is, you know, somewhat uh, damning for the NBA product, but like a game where, you know, both teams, even in the regular season are going to get up for it and try and play high level basketball and want to beat each other. Like, I, I don't think that that aspect of it is contrived. I do agree with some of your points. Maybe the Grizzlies are going to be prone to a little bit of that sort of like Hawks corollary where it's like Trey, Trey Young's given a quote two years into two weeks into the season where he's like, oh man, regular season's boring now now that we've been to the Eastern <laughs> Conference Finals and then they like barely make the playoffs. Um, You know, so maybe they have that, but I, I think 
I, I don't know that Jaw. He seems like one of those guys that's going to drive his teammates and you know get them playing hard and you know playing like most matchups matter. You know maybe they take a small step back because the West is getting deeper. You know Clippers are going to be back. Nuggets look like they're going to be back. But I do think that they'll still be good and still be like a fun watch. I think I think it's a good basketball matchup too. Six more here, so I'll try to get you through them quick. Uh, Bulls versus Hornets. You've got the the ball bull. This is a this is a one because like I don't what what is the NBA trying to do here? This is it is are are they because it's a ball bowl? Is it because like it's Michael literally Jordan versus it. his Michael Jordan versus his biggest rival, Jerry Reinsdorf? Um, you know, and they're Jeez. showing down. Yeah, I mean, th- this is a one for me. I don't really I don't know what the Bulls are gonna be this year. Like they were, you know, fun for a while last year, but then as soon as Alex Caruso got hurt, they were garbage. Um their best player and yeah, no, they're the best player in the league. Um, and uh, you know, so yeah, I'm not I'm not that interested in this one. Uh, it's a one for me as well, and for all the reasons that you listed, like like what are we doing here? I, I understand these that they're are, brothers. These are two potential like lottery teams. Like they, I don't know that either of them are like for sure in the playoffs next year. Where was this energy when Cody Zeller and Tyler Zeller were playing? Like, come on now. Like, I just don't understand, like, why that didn't draw as much as, like, or the Morris And, like, we twins. don't even like, know that on. Lonzo's going to be healthy. Every single injury update uh, with him is like, oh, like, yeah, he's going to be fine, but he can't walk right now. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> oh like, you know, it's like, it's just like every, I'm telling you, like, go go to our, you know, SB Nation website, Bloggable. They have, dis- they have covered this in depth of, like, every single Lonzo injury update is kind of distressing in what the, they actually say. So, yeah, I, I'm, this is a one for me. Sorry. Grizzlies versus T-Wolves, that first round matchup from last year. Uh... I don't know. I it, like in the regular season, I don't know that both of these teams are going to be like ready to go and rear in like for this game. Like the, yeah, this is like, I don't know, like a five for me. I, I I could go either way. I had as a three. It it just doesn't feel like this was the first round matchup. This is how first round matchups go. Like they were, they were yeah. close. They were closer than anticipated. Like that's it. That's, that's all this was. Uh, but either way, I'm, I'm not super excited for it. And I felt Rap- like that playoff series, like low key was not as fun or competitive as people made it out to be. It was just like the Timberwolves just like, you know, pooped all over themselves, like every single fourth <laughs> quarter. It was like, it wasn't like they, they were like back and forth all game or something like that. It was just, they, you know, just completely fell apart. Yeah, I don't know. That's like a well, now they now they have Rudy Gobert, so everything's better. Like that's that's just how it is. Yes, um, no, notably Rudy Gobert, who like is really really known for like protecting leads down the stretch and not getting destroyed by Stanley Johnson on a ten day contract. Yeah, but Jamal Murray also scored fifty points in, in a game at one point. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that that, that happened. Uh, Nothing but Rap- respect for my DPOY. <laughs> Raptors versus Warriors. This is a rivalry. I'm yep. shocked this is on the schedule. I, I, was, I, I, I had to look at the page again. I, I thought you were trolling me. I don't understand. They played in the finals three years. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess just like basketball wise, this is an interesting matchup. Like if both teams are healthy at the time, like no, stop the Raptors this are is a one. an interesting team to watch, there, like defend a team like that. There is yeah. no interesting beef. There is no interesting like intrigue in this from a rival's perspective. What are we doing? Kawhi isn't even on the team anymore. Yeah, it's like, I mean, basketball is an interesting matchup, but I don't understand rivalries week for this. What rivalry? Yeah, this like, this is a one. Like, there's, there's nothing This has got to be the least bad blood between two teams that played in the finals, like, within, like, three years that, like, maybe we've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, the, like, yeah. 
Um, Kyle Lowry and Kawhi are gone. Like, yeah, I don't, exactly. Whatever. I don't. <laughs> moving on. Nuggets <laughs> Sixers. Though. Uh, who in the Sixers? Nuggets Sixers. This one's good. I, I I got this. I feel like Jokic versus Embiid is always like it feels like like last year was hilarious during these matchups to watch the MVP debate be litigated on like a minute by minute basis and uh, <laughs> like based on who had the ball. Um, and so yeah, th- this is like an eight for me. There, there. As long as those two guys are playing, obvious caveat. But yeah, this is like an eight for me. This should be a fun regular season game to watch those two guys. Like they, it doesn't seem to be like a bad blood beef. It just seems to be genuine kind of I want to prove that I am better than you even if I don't like maybe hate you personally or something. Nuggets fans and Sixers fans are fully behind this rivalry. It is, it is yeah. so contentious between these two fan bases. I get people in my mentions still pretty much every day whenever I tweet something about Jokic. Just just basically like, okay, uh, but he's not. That's just staying on guard in the offseason. They're keeping you on, you know. <laughs> they, are, they are certainly doing that. Uh, but no, like I, this is a nine for me. Like it's not quite a 10. This like because it, look, it is an Eastern versus Western conference team with, that doesn't really have any previous history other than these two matchups. But the best center debate, I think, is actually really intriguing. It has generated a legitimate rivalry between these two franchises. And it is, it's just fun to watch two guys at the same position that literally guard each other every single time down the floor, you know, go at each other like this over the course of like a 48 minute game, however many minutes they play. Two more Knicks, or Knicks, Nets, and Lakers, Celtics. You know, two of the same exact rivalries. So, like, yes, exactly the same level of rivalry. Uh, Knicks, Nets. I'm, I, I'm giving this a two. I don't, I don't have any reason to care about this matchup at all. I, like, I'm tempted to give it a one, but but I'm prepared now for you to make a good counterpoint. So, oh no, two is two. correct. Two is exactly yeah. what I had. <laughs> I, I do not care about this game. This is a completely transparent ploy by the national broadcasters to just get all of the New York market tuned into their broadcast. I cannot bring myself to care about this. Um, Lakers Celtics, I do care about just because no matter where those two teams are at, I, I don't care what the Lakers roster looks like. I don't care what the Celtics roster looks like. You want to beat Boston. It's ingrained. Like for me, that 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 is also, I'm not going to give it a nine because that feels disrespectful to like the other, you know, on the scale that I've been grading on to uh, the other actual good basketball matchups. I'm not sure where this one will be, but it, it's an eight for me personally. I wrote down nine just because like this, this is a rival. This is a legitimate rivalry. This is, this is how this goes. Like you, those two, those two fan bases hate each other. Those two fan bases try to one up each other constantly as you, as you well know. So this is, that's kind of how it's bred between those two, but also Jason Tatum does pretty well against the Lakers. There's, there's a lot of people that think that Jason Tatum will eventually be a Laker. Uh, I sort of agree with them. Like that's probably going to happen at some point, but uh, it should be I very mean, interesting. I, you think these jersey swaps on my computer would lie to me? <laughs> I, I love it, man. It's a, I, I'd love to see him wear a Lakers six. That's just uh, no. That's that's never actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> for for so obvious it's retired reasons. Retired now, Ryan. Don't be disrespectful. This is unbelievable. Oh, Lack man. of respect what? that you of, of anyone to disrespect the Celtics legend on this podcast. I think it would no, be me. No. I, I love Bill Russell. Bill Russell's fantastic. He's up. He meant so much to this league. Um, all right, that's I, I do think in all seriousness, I do think it's really cool that they're retiring the like number league wide. The, the, if the leaks are true about the Lakers putting a leprechaun, you know, like four leaf clover on their court, that's a little much for me. Uh, I think the six <laughs> would have been fine. Um, but you know, 
if anyone deserves it, it's it's Bill Russell insane. for what he did on and off the court. I mean, hey, hey, good for them if that's what they do. Um, I have taken you way too long, uh, but we still have to talk about video games. And I know you're actually going to be excited about the video game talk. So let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss Harrison's favorite video game of all time. We'll be right back. Jackson and Roll, Ryan Blackford, your final segment on this Friday. Uh, we are recording this on Thursday night. This will drop pretty soon after, and I'm, I'm really excited to get to this because if you've followed Harrison before, you know that he does one thing pretty religiously. It's it's he posts the 100%ing of various video games onto his Twitter feed. He loves doing it. I have seen him doing it. I get jealous because the screenshot that I sent him had like a 40% completion on Assassin's Creed Origins. And I was, I was thinking like, man, this is why am I, why did I even do this? Like, what, I planned on that one just for the record. Oh, I, 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 I'm going to ask you about that. But uh, I love Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed is one of my favorite video game franchises. It might be like, I'll, we'll get to this discussion later, but it, it probably is my favorite video game series of all time. Um, what Assassin's Creed game is your favorite? What got you into the series? So I took sort of a weird route into the series where I literally had, I played Assassin's Creed 3 on PlayStation 3 back when it came out. It was my brother's at the time and I gave it a shot. It like wasn't really for me, but I hadn't grown to appreciate stealth games yet at that point in my life. And so um, like, it just wasn't, I was like, I was literally playing it all wrong. Just like running into every single fight, like trying to hit it, playing it on easy mode. And I was just like, all right, I'm just going to try and shoot my gun as many times as I can. And then I'll just hack and slash and hopefully I can win the fight. Um, you know, and, but I played Valhalla earlier this year and ended up just because it looked a little God of War ish, which was yeah. one of my favorite games that I played in like the last, you know, decade or so. Um, the, the 2018 kind of reboot sequel, uh, for PlayStation four. Um, so I gave Valhalla a shot. It wasn't really like God of War, but I ended up really liking it like a lot more than I thought, uh, ended up just like, okay, I'll give, uh, I'll give Odyssey a try because people are saying it's like similar to Valhalla. Odyssey is probably my favorite Assassin's Creed game um, so far. I just think that Cassandra is the most memorable protagonist other than I, you can make a case for Ezio, but he also gets yeah. three games to make that connection with sure. the with the audience. Whereas Cassandra, I felt like really early on, just well-written character, super well-performed. You feel like a badass while playing as her. You can like kind of an equal measure go into a melee fight versus like, you know, taking people out in stealth at one point. Once you unlock the invisibility power for her, it's over. You're just like rampaging on camps. Um, and so that is my favorite one, favorite protagonist. Uh, then I played Origins. Um, and mm. then I decided after that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give a shot to going back and like replaying the older ones. They have not remastered the first game uh, for, you know, PlayStation 4 or PlayStation or any of these things. So, like, I ended up just buying the Ezio collection, uh, played through all of those, really liked them. Um, and then I've been playing through since then. So I played 3, uh, I played Liberation, um, and then I just platinum Black Flag the other night. Um, and then I've been playing through Rogue. 
uh, and then I think I have Unity and Syndicate left. I, I'm like all in on the series. It's like it's everything. I I love historical fiction. I have always been. I was originally one of my the majors I was considering in college was history major. Um, nice. and so it kind of scratches. You know, it's like a stealth game with a ton of collectibles and like it goes into historical fiction, like and science fiction. I'm in. Like it's it's literally it feels like it was designed for me. Assassin's Creed is my favorite franchise for that reason. It's it's not just the open world, which which is fantastic. Like open world is 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 what really gets me into a lot of games. But it is fantastic in telling stories in a unique way, while also encouraging learning from their audience. That's that's not something yeah. that you usually see from games like this. But Assassin's Creed has kind of it's kind of bred that into their ethos that they are always going to show you these historical features, these historical monuments that and take you through parts of history where, yeah, they're telling a fictionalized version of it, but you get to see, like in uh, in uh, Assassin's Creed, for example, uh, Benjamin Franklin, you get to see all of these other people that you, you learn about in history class that, that you want to make sure that you understand, but you get to see like colonial America at that time. It's, it's just so cool the way that they've done it. Uh, I love those games. Cassandra is a fantastic uh, character as well. She is my favorite. Like that's that's my favorite Assassin's Creed game for sure is Odyssey. That's the one. Yeah, that that's I really where I'm at. Hooked. It's just it's the best story, best like combination of gameplay, you know, writing, like uh, all of it. Like, yeah, that that's top for me. It is the only like hundred hour style game that I've played through twice. It's the only one I've ever done. And it's fantastic. I love the way that they've done it. I love the open world concept, but also just uh, some of the side quests in that one, hilarious. Like if that's where really you, yeah. you get, you get the, you get the depth in a game like that when you, when you explore the limits of it. And it's, it's just fantastic that the combat is really good. Valhalla was fantastic. It, it wasn't quite Odyssey, but it was, it was still fantastic in its own right. Um, but Assassin's Creed wasn't the, it wasn't the game that got me into gaming. Uh, that was Halo, actually. Halo was the one where you get to see some of the Master Chief stuff that he does. Like, I, I started with Halo 2. I wasn't quite, like, I think I was seven years old when I played Halo 2. So it's, it's like, that's sort of tough. But uh, Halo 3 then came out and I was hooked on that series after that. Uh, what was the game that first got you into gaming? Uh, it was Pokemon Red version. Uh, I got nice. my first Game Boy in second grade, and I uh, I was actually telling this story to uh, my mother-in-law the other night because she was asking like how I got into games because I've I've recently gotten my wife pretty into video games over the last couple of years, and so she was asking me about my journey, and I, I so I got a Game Boy Color for Christmas, and uh, my dad was super mean, like he knew that this was the one thing that I wanted in the world, and he put it it was either in an Amazon box or it was some kind of thing made to look like it's like oh that I got this shipped from some website and it's your Game Boy Color that you really wanted. And I open it up and it's a box of socks. And um, and like I almost started crying. And like he he laughed. He thought it was hilarious. And then he handed me the Game Boy. And uh, like I played that thing until the batteries died that day. Mm -hmm. Like I just sat there and I just played it until the AA batteries just literally died without me saving. Um, And like I was, and so from there, you know, I, I was never, I wasn't allowed to have like a console in our house until... Like I was like in, I think like high school, uh, like it was pretty, I had a portable gaming system and stuff like that, but my, our parents didn't want us just like sitting in front of the TV, like all weekend or whatever, doing it instead of homework and things like that. So, which is fine. I'm not bitter at all. They let my little brother, my youngest brother do whatever he wants. Um, you know, they had more restrictions for me, but, uh, yeah, it was like that one. So like, 
uh, the Metroid games on Game Boy Advance were like huge for me in terms of like getting me into, I guess, like harder games than like, you know, your uh, Pokemons or your whatever less casual games. Uh, Metroid Zero Mission, one of my favorites uh, ever. Metroid Fusion, Masterpiece. Um, and then, you know, I just kind of playing a GameCube, um, playing, you know, I playing Xbox 360. Uh, like, I, I think my all time favorite game is uh, Batman Arkham City was mm. uh it's like probably i i played that game probably more than any maybe metroid zero mission i've beaten more times but that's the only one that i've beaten maybe more times than uh batman arkham city i just think it's the perfect blend of like open world the size of it you know just batman's my fa my favorite comic book character um you know just gets the tone of the character right the performances are incredible the combat the stealth everything is like perfect i've probably beaten that game like 20 times in my over the course of like my uh you know the you know the 15 years or however long it's been out we've been really showing kind of the the gap between when you first got into gaming, when I first got into gaming, because like, I'm yeah, when you said you started so. play, you played Halo when you were seven. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> there's a little bit of an age gap here, but that's fine. It's it's not that it's not that large. I, I promise, but uh, but no, like I I it's it's very interesting because I I had a console first. Uh, that that's we got that I think when I was eight or so, and and that was fantastic. I got into Halo, got into Madden. I, I got Skyrim at one point and that that really changed the game for me that was a, that was awesome that was my my first like 100 hour style game that I would definitely play uh I got the Nintendo DS I think when I was about 10 or so and the first game that I remember being addicted to on that one was Pokemon Diamond so I was gen 4 you were gen that was one. the only one that I ever caught every single Pokemon in uh that I was like uh, i i did that and i'm like i'm retiring from pokemon this is it i, I i'm never doing this again that was, that was too much <laughs> little did i know that that was like just the start of a collectibles you know uh hunting fascination that would lead to platinum trophy addiction that was my gateway drug was pokemon diamond that's hilarious it's it's true too like the, the, the premise gotta catch them all has definitely latched on to everything in terms of like how how people sort of act with with video games nowadays and when when you're 100 percenting certain games and whatnot that's that's definitely all throughout that ethos um is it your goal to 100 percent every game that you play no so i mean sort of but also like i generally I will go to like a website and like look up like the platinum difficulty score to decide like whether or not like I and then I'll sort of like play it and I'll decide like do I feel like I am good enough at this game to be able to 100% it personally myself so like I will generally like I, I want to it's obviously my goal but there's ones where like I fall short like Death Stranding is the most painful one in the last year I have like I think 98% of the trophies on that one it's one bronze one I cannot get because one of the missions glitched out and I don't want to just start like a whole other save file to platinum the game and I was like that was probably like 100 hours that I put in like close to it to you know and that was pretty devastating but a great game still uh like worth playing on its own merits um but you know that's so what I happened to me for AC it. Odyssey by the way exactly yeah. that oh that's brutal yeah. um yeah, I mean, I, I've actually gotten them on every single Assassin's Creed game I've played so far, except for Brotherhood and Assassin's Creed 3. Um, 
yeah, Assassin's Creed 3 just did not appear doable to me. Um, and like just based on my skill level with that particular game. Uh, and then Brotherhood was just like it, there were, yeah, it was like similar thing, but the others I was able to get it. And it's, uh, you know, that just was something that started when I was, I was first started out blogging and I was making like 50 bucks a month. Like I didn't have that much to spend on video games. Um, and I was like, okay, how do I get the most out of every single video game that I'm buying so that I can get like the maximum amount for purchase? I started trying to like 100% them and do things like that. Uh, I think Arkham City was one of the first ones that I ever actually aimed to do that with because I loved that game that much. Um, and then, you know, you just get a sense of achievement from it, uh, whether they're trophies or achievements. And so, um, you know, for me, I've sort of become like a Sony PlayStation guy. That's been my system of choice. And, you know, so yeah, the platinum trophies, the little extra sound that it makes when you get that one, it's like, you know, there's there's nothing like it for me which is like the nerdiest thing I've ever said out loud, but we're an it's hour into a basketball podcast. I think this is a safe space. <laughs> I, I need to find out if I've actually 100%ed a game before on the PS5. I don't think I have. It's it's never been my like like my my desire to do that. I, I generally just do these things. Like I've always kind of done video games for however long I'm having fun. And, and yeah. when you stop having fun is when you really start like grinding those last couple of achievements. But I am going to do it for AC Origins. That is something I've, I've done ever since I took that screenshot. I've gotten like six other trophies or whatnot. So yeah, it, uh, AC Origins is not too bad of one. Like you can definitely yeah. like and I'm sort of the same way. There's ones where like I'm playing it. And that's the other thing. It's like it doesn't have to be that I'm uh, like not good enough at it. There are ones where it's like I just decide I'm like, I don't like this game enough to like yeah. continue on and like, you know, do the amount of playthroughs that are necessary or whatever. So like sometimes that will get in the way, too. If there is a complete build mode on legendary or, or whatever the equivalent is, then I'm just probably not going to do it. Like, yeah, I, there's I, very few where I've been able to get that one. Mass Effect 2 is actually my proudest uh, platinum trophy. The one on PS3, the what they took it out when they remastered the game, but you had to beat the game on like infamous or legendary mode or whatever. And that one. I was in, I remember I was uh, moved in. I just started living with my first roommate in college. And uh, I think he was genuinely concerned at how mad I was getting at one of the boss <laughs> fights. Um, and then, you know, I got through it and I got it. And that's like probably my proudest one. But yeah, there's a couple moments like that when you have to do the really hard runs. That's why I discovered with Call of Duty. Like if, if I am getting so angry at the game that I'm yelling throughout the house curse words and my mother is telling me to calm down, that that's just, that's that's where I have to draw the line. So that was definitely one. Uh, where are you at with games like Dark Souls and, and things nope. like that? For, for that yeah. exact reason. Like if, yeah. if it's a game that's going to make my wife question our relationship because of the <laughs> things I'm screaming at the TV, I generally try to stay away from it. I'm like, this is not for me. I want it to be a stress release. Like, I think part of the reason I like doing the collectible hunting is, you know, you can listen to podcasts. It's like mindless. You feel like kind of like this is, again, very sad statement. But the Assassin's Creed games really have mastered this for me is like you feel a little bit like you're on vacation or like in a different like world or land or whatever and so like you just throw on a podcast you're like you know you're listening learning you know whatever kind of podcast you're into and then you're just kind of running around and like for me that's like stress release but i don't want to play a game that's so hard that i'm um you know getting frustrated with it because it's like wait a second this is my off time this is not supposed to be work now conversely if it's a really fun game that i enjoy the mechanics of and i enjoy the challenge then i will go for it on stuff like that because it feels more satisfying but yeah like dark souls games whatever like i I'm not going to purposely punish myself. That's not my thing. 
What evolutions kind of in games of, because gaming obviously has changed so much ever since you started with Pokemon Red and whatnot. Uh, What evolutions have kept you intrigued? Uh, I've been a sucker for open world games and and also elite story games like The Last of Us. When, When you get involved emotionally in a story like that, that's when you really enjoy it and have a like very sincere feelings with some of these games. It's sincere enjoyment. Uh, what what gets you going? Yeah, that, uh, similar stuff for me. Like the open world games, the 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 Last of Us again, like incredible, incredible series. Like that. That's what I credit for helping me get my wife into games. I was like, if I can get her to play this one, then I can like I can hook her, and then we're able to play together and whatever. Um, and so, you know, that one's great. Um, you know, again, like I mentioned, like the Arkham series, like those ones, like the sort of the way that combat has evolved in games, like with the counter systems and, you know, those kind of things where, but they also like, I also like that a lot of games have started to become uh, more accessible. And so they make it with like a very easy mode. So that like, if I'm playing, for example, The Last of Us 2, if I'm playing that like with my wife and we want to switch off while we're playing, like I can turn down the difficulty so that she can play and, you know, like we can um, kind of go back and forth and go through that together. And so like, I like those kind of advents where like anything where they allow you to play the game the way you want like it's this crazy thing that game developers have discovered in like the last like five years it's like it's like wait if we make it so that everyone can play the game and not want to tear their hair out then like more people will buy the game um and so you know there's been stuff like that and honestly i just like the amount of different styles of games that you can play now like stray i don't know if you've gotten a chance to check it out i, I love 5. stray i love it like just super unique game. Like somebody was asking me what I'd compare it to. I'm like, I genuinely don't know. I don't know that I've ever played a game exactly like that game. And it was unique. And it just like, for me, like I barely, I don't really watch movies or TV anymore. Like for me, this is my narrative, you know, escape, like, because it allows you to be involved. It allows you to kind of interact with the world. And especially like, you know, PlayStation five with the adaptive triggers and, you know, the advanced like rumble stuff, like it's, they're getting really, really immersive. Oh, I love it. It's that's a that's a, like Stray was fantastic. And the uh, writing has just come leaps and leaps and bounds from where it was when I was a kid and I started playing video games. But it's sort of like like the game has been raised so much by a lot of these different games that like you you mentioned the elite stories like The Last of Us. I think that one really was a breakthrough where if you tell it a a impactful emotional story like that, then you can get away with certain decisions that The Last of Us made in, in their second game. That was definitely uh, something that that happened but uh i i'm very much with you that if you, if you tell a good story if you have good mechanics uh then most every game is going to be great i'm actually i'm actually honestly a sucker for graphics too like if if a game looks beautiful yeah, of and course. it feels beautiful and feels immersive then horizon I forbidden west to... like i oh I, I i liked zero dawn better like the story was better i thought at least and uh like forbidden west wasn't bad i just enjoyed zero dawn i thought that the sure. mystery of it was way more intriguing but like forbidden west was incredible you know just the level of graphical immersion and you know um like the the ways that they use the adaptive triggers and all that stuff so yeah i'm you know like i just love like 
even like the you see something like The Last of Us where Naughty Dog is like, ha, see, we can make games with like a really cool story. We'll make Uncharted 4. And then Uncharted 4 is like totally different than every single game in the series in terms of like it went from like pulpy action movie to The Last of Us level story with like some MCU style quips types of stuff and ended up being the best game of the series, I think like by far. Um, oh, yeah. And so, you know, like I, I just like how much the creators are being empowered to like it doesn't have to be like oh guy you know like i like shooting games too sometimes but like not every single game needs to be like oh you blast a bunch of enemies and then you save the girl you know like that's not like every that you don't have to rescue the princess in the castle in every single game as great as mario games can be like there's all kinds of different stories that you can tell through that medium and that's been one of the coolest things What's the game that you've been addicted to lately? What's the game that that you would recommend to people that if they're getting into a certain system? Uh, so, I mean, the Assassin's Creed series has been that for me, like over the last like year or so, I would say I've been playing right. through most of those. Um, and, and so, but like, uh, honestly, the new Guardians of the Galaxy game is one that I haven't mentioned. Stray was really good for Horizon. Both games are really good. But the new Guardians of the Galaxy game is actually like there's some repetitive dialogue in some of the fight scenes, but the story is really really good the like I, I thought the gameplay mechanics in terms of fighting with your team was a lot of fun um and it does have like again like really strong narrative strong writing strong performances um so that was like a really good one for and you know everybody's into the mcu now it's a very different version of the guardians than the mcu but it's still uh so it's not like don't expect you know star lord to act like chris pratt it's a, it's a little bit different than that but it, it's different in a good way like i appreciated that they didn't just try to do like the b plus version of what james gunn has done that's one again one of the things i like about video games is you can have like you know I like Batman and I enjoyed the Batman, like the new Robert Pattinson one, but I also enjoy like Arkham City's more kind of like, you know, it, it like look into the mystical side of Batman and like his interaction with League of Assassins and like the superhuman enemies that you fight at times and things like that. Like I like that games give these creators like a different medium to kind of explore characters in a new and different way. I think that's fantastic. And, and it's important to be able to interact with these characters and, I, I I had heard that about Guardians of the Galaxy, so I I definitely might take. Yeah, a look it didn't get like a lot of good press, and like I definitely I don't know that it's for everyone, but I really really enjoyed it, and I thought that it was fun. I think a lot of people were expecting like it to be like I think Marvel's Avengers kind of you know uh, got it so like people were expecting it to be like a repetitive Ludathon basically, and it's just like it's not that at all. It's totally narrative game, not open world. You're like it's very The Last of Us in terms of like you're going through these places, going to different locations like um you know and you have your team that you're directing I, I thought it was super unique and fun i recently played through the life is strange games those were a lot those of fun for too. me i i think that not enough games are based off of kind of emotional iq emotional intelligence and that one really got to me that i thought that was, that was very interesting um the horizon series i would definitely recommend to people if if they haven't super great like high concept sci-fi mystery it's like uh, the, the the reveal in the first game of like sort of what is actually going on and the lead up to it i'm not going to spoil it here obviously but just you know incredibly incredibly done god of war also, as you mentioned um, one one other one that i'll throw in days gone i think if you have a ps5 hmm. i think honestly days gone got a lot of bad reviews early on because i don't know that it was i think it might have been too powerful for the ps4 to be honest um and it's like it's free with your ps plus give it a shot like it has um 
you know, it has uh, the like Star Killer from the Force Unleashed games playing the main character. It's set like in a zombie apocalypse. Really unique kind of game and exploration of that genre too. I, I enjoyed it. It's it's very collectible heavy and very open world, so that can be probably a little daunting for some people. But for me, it was fun. I love it. That's that's fantastic. And a God of War, as you mentioned, that's that's one that everybody yes. has to hit if you're if you're an open world person. If you if you like emotional stories that's definitely one that you got to latch on to and the spider-man um, ones but everybody knows those i feel like spider-man for sure uh but yeah man I, I i still would have everybody circle back to assassin's creed i thought that those were like i think that's my favorite video game series of all time the way that it they've honestly told, may be mine at this point yeah the way that they've told historical fiction the way that they've told stories that kind of sort of relate to what's actually happened in the world but sort of tell it from their own perspective and uh just create something really fun out of it. I, th I thought that that was really cool. And, and the graphics that you get in some of those games are extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. no, And even the gameplay, like for the ones that came out on like PS3, you know, has aged incredibly, incredibly well. Sometimes when you yeah. go back and you play those classics, it feels a little tanky. It's not so good. Like the even Assassin's Creed 2, it, you know, again, it doesn't feel like playing Valhalla or anywhere close to it but it's unique and it's good and I felt like it aged really well even if the graphics aren't quite up to par with what you'd expect well Harrison this was awesome I love talking about video games with people and this this one I knew we had to talk about with you because I, I think that video games have become just as much in, in kind of ingrained into our culture in terms of nerd culture as anything and I think uh, they're only going to continue to go up honestly yeah and telling these stories is very it's it's very important and i think it's it's honestly part of entertainment now that that's getting a serious hold so should be a lot of fun to talk about in the future let me know if you have any other game recommendations i would love to uh i'll, I'll take out any and all of your advice i i, I think i'm gonna play days gone yeah no it's worth a shot if you it's again it's not quite like assassin's creed but good open world game it's it's unique for sure Everybody, make sure to follow Harrison at HM Fagan on Twitter. Make sure to go uh, badger him with your Lakers hate. I think that he loves that I'll, always. Uh, that's definitely up his alley. I'm uh, always prepared. <laughs> for everybody else, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I dragged Harrison 30 minutes longer than I told him I would, so I am so excited for this, this pod to come out, though. should be a lot of fun for everybody. Thank you so much if you have tuned in. appreciate all the love and support on the program. Next week, uh, not sure. I, th I think we're gonna do some. I think we're going to do some Euro or Eurobasket coverage. I think that's where we're we're at with uh, Nikola Jokic. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye.